Amen. Thank you. Um, so we've got a Leaders Weekend Away coming up in the middle of October. Uh, and we're going to go away as leaders and look at where Horizon is at now. We're going to obviously pray and seek God's face for the next step, the next thing that we need to be doing at Horizon. And one of the things that's come up that we're going to look at is how do we as leaders check the health of our church? How do we look at our people and our activities and work out, are we healthy? Are we a healthy church? So that makes me think a bit about what we do with health checks and why they even exist. So, I mean, clearly this is easy for me because I'm a nurse, so understanding health checks is my bread and butter. Um, so sometimes health checks in the health service we use to prevent ill health. Anyone who's over 40 will be invited every year to have your blood pressure, your cholesterol checked. And that's about preventing ill health. If we can detect problems early, then we can fix them. Sometimes it's about detecting ill health through screening. So you might be invited for breast cancer screening or cervical cancer screening. There's screening programs that try and work out, is there a problem? We screen so that we can catch disease early and then if we catch it early, we can put treatment in place. For some people, we do uh, health checks to monitor treatment. So someone's already on a medication, they're on a drug, we want to know is the drug working. You've got high blood pressure, we put you on a blood pressure tablet. One of the things you have to do regularly is go back and check, is the blood pressure tablet working or do you need more? And of course, all of those checks ultimately want health restored. So what we're in it for is for ill health to be detected, treatment health to be restored is the top one, diastolic is the bottom one. You might have blood tests to check your cholesterol. And as part of the cholesterol check, there's lots of different bits, but they're all numbers. So maybe if we're looking at the health of a church, we should look at numbers. So we could look at numbers, how many people come in through the door on a Sunday. If we measure that, what's the problem with counting people that come on a Sunday? It's only part of what we do. What? Doesn't talk about quality. Yeah, it's not about numbers. It's about relationship. We could measure numbers, couldn't we? We could count and see how many people are here today. What's the problem with measuring it today? Loads of people are away, and it might be different next week. So then maybe you could measure over a month how many people come. So maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's good to know how many people are in our congregation. What about if it was about you as an individual? How would you measure your Christian numbers? Maybe you could count the number of times you personally come to church. What about the number of times you go to a midweek group? So not just Sundays, but Circle or Impact or Life Group. You could count that. That, that would give you some numbers. Uh, how often that we serve in a rota? Maybe you could look at the last three months rota and work out how many times you've served. That would give you some numbers. What about money? Maybe we could measure the percentage of our income that we give to Horizon. Maybe that will tell us something about how healthy we are. But they don't really measure our health as a spiritual, spiritual health, do they? They probably reflect where our spiritual health is at, 
One tends to find that when people are healthy spiritually, they're more likely to commit to Sundays and midweek groups and service and tithing. So you could make a link, but it's not the whole story. What about if we look at the number of times we've discussed our faith with non-Christians this month? Or the percentage of our work colleagues that know we're Christians? Maybe we could count the number of people we've invited to church. What about spiritual gifts? We could count the number of times in the last three months we've operated spiritual gifts. We've had a word or a picture. We could count that. And they're good things, all right? They're good things to get a measure of what you're at, where you're at. And the same with blood pressure. Blood pressure is a really helpful measurement for me as a nurse. And sometimes with things like high blood pressure, it's directly the thing I want to deal with. But do you know the problem with it is that sometimes people have problems with their blood pressure and actually the problem is somewhere else. So actually the problem is they've got an overwhelming infection and the blood pressure is really low. Or they've got a heart problem and the blood pressure is really high. So actually you can measure the numbers, but it doesn't really tell you the whole picture. And that's what Jill and, and Mandy said. You can measure numbers, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. So what about our spiritual health? How can we work out where we're at spiritually, individually? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 13 that says we should check ourselves. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this is about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The Bible says we can do a health check on ourselves. Where is our spiritual life at? Test yourselves, it says. So let's assume we can do some of those number things. We can count those things. Perhaps you want to go away from today and do that. You could write some notes down how many times you've done X and Y and Z. But let's address the other bit, which is the quality of our spiritual health. So I'm going to read from Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. And I'm going to look at this. You can look at spiritual health through lots of different angles. And today we're going to look at through love in action is the kind of message. Love in action. How does that tell us about our spiritual health? So Romans 12, verse 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So love and action, what can that tell us about how we could test our spiritual faith and the, the health of our spiritual life? Verse 9 and 11 talk about being sincere in our love. Being sincere in our love for God, being sincere in our love for one another. That means not being shallow or superficial. Is, God, is our love for God reflected in our lives? When we look at our priorities for the week ahead, how much of that is about our love for God? How much of what we're about to do this coming week reflects our love for Him? Is our love for God growing? Or actually, are we a bit stuck? We've become a Christian and we're quite stuck. Our love for God has remained the same, maybe for six weeks, six months, six years. Actually, one thing about love is it does not remain static. We should be growing in our love for God. And what's the evidence of that love? So it, it's, it's sounds like something a bit more difficult to measure, but if we think about any other relationship, how would we measure our love for another person? Well, we'd actually look at how the relationship is. Do we spend time with them? Do we choose to be with them above other people? Actually, that heart desire is, I want to be with those people that I love. I choose that because I love them. And out of that love, that's my choice. So how does that impact in our worship outside of a Sunday? Our time spent worshiping God, our time spent reading our Bible, our time in prayer. If we love God, we should choose to do those things. Now, I'm not putting legalistic things in where you have to do those things, but because you love him, you should want to do those things and be with him, talk to him, hear from him. And it's our attitude here. It's not that I say you should do it, therefore you go away this week and make it different. Actually, if your heart is love, you will be choosing to do that because you can't choose anything else because that's where your heart's at. Our response is also living our life for him. There's two verses, one in James 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you come on a Sunday and you hear a word, that's brilliant. As leaders, what we want you to do is to take that and do something with it, to let God speak into your life so that through the next week, something is different, it speaks to you and you respond. It's great to hear from God, it's amazing. And I hope today you do hear from God. But I really want you to do something with that. That in hearing it, you change an attitude, you change a thought, you take it back to God and say, what can I do? That you do something differently as a result. We're also called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That's in Ephesians. So if people look to us, people that are not Christians, what would they say about our lives? What are we doing outside of a Sunday meeting that will make people recognize that we're Christians and that we love God? The things that we do, the things that we say, how we react to difficult situations, how we perform under pressure, tells a whole lot for non-Christians. And non-Christians watch every little thing you do when they know you're a Christian. Now, sometimes that's because they try and catch you and they go, oh, well, you're meant to be a Christian, Jill. I thought you were a Christian. Anyone had that said to them? Yeah, people watch what you do. They watch how we act. And even if they don't see it, that's what they're doing. So what do our lives look like? Do our lives reflect our love for God? 
And I found this really challenging this week. How do we put him first in our lives always, that our love for God is first? So, do we show and grow love for God? The second point is in verse 9 and 21, and it asks us to turn our back on sin. We should hate or abhor sin. This is a bit more than just, I'm not that keen on sin. This is a hatred and abhorrence, a running away from, uh, I don't want anything to do with sin. So we've got love first, we've just talked about that. Now the verses are saying we should run fast from sin. Not amble along beside it for a little while, skirting around the edges, all right? We should turn our back and get out of there. And the word hatred, I have to say I struggle a bit because that's such a strong word. Uh, It's very difficult for me to talk about hating anything. Although I have to say when I was preparing this, there are two things that, man, they properly wind me up and I would say I hate. One is racism and the second is injustice, where something unjust has happened. Oh, man, that cat, I hate those two things. But do you know I'm not sure I hate sin sometimes as much as those two things? I think we skirt a lot with sin in our lives and don't have that same attitude and that strength of feeling about it as this verse talks about. And, and sometimes, it, you, know, these are, you know, we think about sin and we think it, there's a kind of category. So, you know, no, no I, I don't think murder's right. But this, in our daily lives, what about those times where there are white lies, whatever they really are? They're quite clearly just lies anyway. But do we tolerate white lies? What about deceit, where we're not really telling the complete truth? We're kind of deceiving someone. Whatever the motivation, I think we entertain deceit. What about dishonesty? We're not completely being honest with someone or we're hiding things. And ultimately what sin is, is anything that's the opposite to God's word. So if something is in the Bible and God said you shouldn't do it and you're doing it, you're sinning. That's what sin is. And the Bible doesn't have a category of sins where people who are murderers are worse than people that tell white lies. It's just sin. And this verse says... Part of our check on our spiritual health is, do we hate sin in our lives? Do we check ourselves and recognize where it is and run the other way? Do we turn our back on it and go the opposite direction? And I feel that much more challenging for me this week. So I would encourage you all to just have a think. I think it's quite easy to say, oh, I hate sin. Yeah, I totally hate sin. Because in our heads, it's those big things that murder and, you know, adultery. And, and the, Bible isn't, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says sin is doing the opposite to God's word. Are we doing that in our lives? Is that a check we should put on ourselves as Christians? The third thing is it says quite a lot in this verse, you'll have heard, is that we should love and honor one another. We should love and honor one another. As a family, as Christians, as fellow believers, the Bible is very clear that we should love and honor one another. And do we do that actively enough? Do we honor people for their commitment? Wellington Christian Center, 
Thank you, girls, so much for leading worship today. I want to honour you for your time and effort in coming to a fellowship of people you don't really know that well. I know you've been to Resonate, but actually thank you for that time commitment, that preparation, and that leading worship. And we want to honour you for coming today. I, do we do that enough in our church? Do we honour people for their service, for just who they are? It doesn't have to be about the thing you've done. Actually, we want to honor one another for who you are, the gratitude we have as believers to be in this world, in this life, with one another. I wouldn't choose to be anywhere else but in Horizon. Thank you, God, that you've put me here, that this is my family. And I want to honor you more, myself, from this message. What about the people that we meet through the week in our midweek teams? If you're at Circle, if you're at the Hub, do we honor and love one another? Do we act that out? Do we give words of encouragement and thanks? Do we give notes to say thank you? Do we value and speak kindly of one another? What about people outside of church? What about people that maybe we don't like very much? Maybe it's just me, but I seem to have a whole bunch of people that are quite tricky. It's quite hard to love them. It's really quite hard. Uh, and if we talk about reflecting what, you know, our feelings of the heart in wanting to spend time with people that we love, well, there are some people I don't want to spend more than a minute with. I definitely struggle. But the Bible says, love one another. And actually, it's contrary to what the world is doing. The world is telling people, it's fine, you should stand up for what you believe, and if you don't like the person, you should never have anything to do with them again. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we should love people. It says we should love our enemies. Oh, hang on. Hang on a minute. It's no good just loving the people that you like. That's the easy bit. It's no good loving people that have got the same views as you've got of the same principles, of the same issues, of you know, the same concerns about social justice or right and wrong. You can love those people. That's great. The Bible says do that. But whoa, what a big challenge to love people that are our enemies, people that are against us, people that do things to undermine us, people that do things just to make life difficult. And I've had a week of that this week where people are just being flipping annoying. They will not help one another. They will not support each other. But the Bible says I've got to love them. I've got to demonstrate that love by kind words of encouragement. It's not the words that were coming to my mind. But isn't it countercultural? Actually, one of the things that Christianity should be is flying in the face of things that are in our culture that are not of God. Actually, it's countercultural to say, you know, I am disappointed that you can't do X or Y, but I love you. Now, we might not say that, but we might express it differently. Actually, to put our own attitudes and views aside and let God's love work through us. People will see that and they'll say, huh? Because they're expecting you to react. They're expecting you to be as of the culture. They're expecting you to kick off, to be all stroppy have an attitude with them, to not want to spend any time with them, to be a bit chippy. What they're not expecting is for you to find out how their family's doing, to ask about that elderly aunt they talked about, 
to ask if you can pray for them at church on Sunday. They are not expecting that because they are trying to make your life difficult. I can't say I did that this week. Even preparing the message, I definitely can't say that's what I did. But it does change and challenge how we view things. And the Bible's strong, isn't it? It says not just to love the enemies, but at the bottom of this verse, if they're hungry, we should feed them. I'm not sure I offered to buy those people lunch this week. But it says that. Feed and supply the needs of our enemies. People see how we react. And where chips are down and situations are difficult, people are looking to you as Christians to respond in the way that God wants you to. People see how you do that. What they're expecting you to do when you do the opposite, they go, huh? So love, love and honor one another here in Horizon, in our service in the midweeks, but also love and honor or love our enemies. The fourth thing it talks about in verse 11 is to be enthusiastic in our faith and our service to God. It talks about being fervent. Are we keen and motivated and enthusiastic about our faith, about what God is doing in our life, about where God is taking us, about where we sit in horizon? If we're serving on a team, do we come and go, I can't wait to do creche today? Now, I feel that's easy for me because the creche is brilliant fun. Um, but do you do that? Do you come with an attitude of, oh, I can't wait to serve this morning? Can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm going to be on the door. I'm going to be tea and coffee. I'm going to be worshipping. Thank you, God, that I've got that opportunity. That's a challenge because sometimes what you do is you look in the rotor and you go, oh, I'm on. I'll just go along. It's really easy to serve and to be good at serving, but to have the wrong attitude. Bible says, be enthusiastic about your faith. And there are a lot of other verses in the Bible that talks about sloth. So laziness, sluggard is another great Bible word. Sluggard. Um, actually, what's our attitude and motivation? Are we enthusiastic? Maybe we go through the motions. Maybe we just come and go, yeah, I can do it. I can do church. I know what I'm doing now in the kitchen. I know how I'm doing the worship. I don't have to think about it very much. And we go through the motions a bit. There's another bit of the Bible that talks about that attitude of, of enthusiasm and uh, fervency for God. And it talks about the dangers of being lukewarm. Now, I've had a lot of lukewarm cups of tea in my career as a nurse. I'd rather have a really hot cup of tea or one that's just completely cold than those ones in the middle. Lukewarm is horrible. And the Bible talks about us. Don't be lukewarm Christians. Don't be half in and half out. Be on fire. Be boiling hot for God. Are we that enthusiastic for what God's doing in our lives? When we come into service, when we take God's word out here, what people don't want to see is an attitude of somebody that's like, yeah, I had to go to church yesterday. Oh, I was on service. It was a right pain. People, how is that witnessing about God's amazing work in your life? We want to go out here and go, we had a great meeting. God was there. Let me tell you about what happened at church yesterday. Let me, let me enthuse you with what God's doing in my life and our lives so that people go, hmm, that's quite interesting. Oh, hmm. That's a bit more interesting. I might want to come along one day. People don't want to hear church is boring. Now, I hope Horizon isn't boring. 
Please don't ever tell people, even if it is. <laughs> even if you go out today and you think, oh, I don't get that word at all. That's not what they want to hear. You want to say, God is doing amazing things. We had praise reports that said X and Y and Z. We should check our health when we talk about spiritual health. Let's check we're not lukewarm. Maybe you were previously really hot for God, really enthusiastic. Sometimes it's a new Christian. You're really passionate about what God's done in your life. And then you become off the boil, a little bit samey, a little bit lukewarm, cool to touch. Or maybe we were really cold before and we've moved, but we've only moved as far as being lukewarm. We've never really gotten to that boiling hot enthusiasm for God. Let's all view our own hearts and passion for God. I'm going to read at the end the Passion Translation of the same verse I started with. Um, if you haven't discovered the Passion Translation, I really encourage you to read it because it does have that sense of heart passion for God throughout it. The final thing is it tells us in these verses that we should rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Now, I've bunched those together. We should rejoice in hope. Our hope is in him, regardless of what situation we see right now. Our hope is not in this world. It's not in the job we're in. It's not in the family we're in. Our hope is in him. Our eternal salvation is guaranteed when we become a Christian. Do we rejoice in that hope? Do we rejoice, whatever our situation, that we are saved? Mate, we are spending eternity together. Let me just tell you that now. So whether you like me or you like the person next to you, we are in this together. This is eternity we're talking about. How exciting is that? Eternity. But it does talk about tribulation. We should be patient in tribulation. Let's not expect or tell people a message that when you become a Christian, life is perfect. You'll have no problems at all when you become a Christian. It's just a lie. Life is full of trials and tribulations. Jim, you've had a bit of a week of it, haven't you? Life is full of it. And the Bible doesn't take away from that. It says we should be patient. And then it says constant in prayer. Those things are linked. So we start rejoicing in hope. We know that whatever tribulation we face in this life, we can rejoice because we've got our eternity sorted. We're patient in tribulation, but in that we're constant in prayer. God, will you help me today? God, this situation is really difficult. Be patient in the difficult times. Trust and rest in him. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer for one another. If you know someone is having a difficult time, make sure they know that you're praying for them, not just today, but through the week. Check in with them to see how they're doing. Be constant in prayer for yourself, but think about other people. So if we think about the, where I started this, spiritual health check, where are your numbers? If we were to count, what's your church attendance like? How many times do you serve in a rota? What's your giving like? How many people have you witnessed to? How many spiritual gifts have you operated in? They say something about your spiritual health. But this other stuff, where's your heart? How do you love God? Do you hate sin? Do you love one another and honor one another? Do you have that enthusiasm in your faith and service? Do you come to church excited with what God's going to do? Do you face your day at work or school or college excited with what God's going to do? 
I'm going to read the Passion Translation. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with talking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, if you don't take justice in your own hands, I will release justice for you, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness, for your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. So my challenge to you this month is to go from here and do something of the word that you've heard about. What is your spiritual health check like now? If I was to do your spiritual blood pressure and your spiritual pulse, is it boiling hot for God? Is your service boiling hot for God? Is your love one another boiling hot? Do you spend time with God because you love him and you choose to do that first? If you've got areas where you think, as I've been talking or as you go through this week, Mm, that's not so good. Perhaps it's not as healthy as I'd like it to be. What treatment can you do? What treatment can we use? Number one, we take it to God. We go back to him and you say, yeah, actually, I've been thinking I'm probably not as generous with my colleagues, my attitude as I could be. That's definitely for me. I am definitely not as generous in my attitude as I should be. God, I want you to help me treat that. I want you to help me treat that bit of my spiritual life that could be healthier than it is now. Don't leave areas that need treatment. If you go to the doctor and we discover you've got an illness, they want to offer you treatment for that. They won't say, well, we found it now. All the best. Of course, unless there isn't a treatment in the health service, but in God's world, there's always a treatment because it's from him. So let's all test and check ourselves. And as the leaders go away in a few weeks and think about the health of our church, actually the health of our whole church depends on the health of every single person. The spiritual health of every one of you reflects the spiritual health of the whole of Horizon and how we are perceived by people outside and how we take the church forward and what God does in this community and what God does across this estate to change the lives of people that don't yet know him. And it starts with you and it starts with me. 
So let's check ourselves spiritually. So I'm going to close in prayer there. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to just stop and check how we're doing as Christians. So just stop before you and see where there are areas that are healthy and not so healthy. Father God, I pray this week that people will go away and be doers of your word, not just hearers. That people will be able to check their own lives, their spiritual health, and to begin to talk to you about how they can improve it. That will begin to talk to you about how they show love, how they turn from evil, how they deal with difficult times, and how they stay boiling hot, enthusiastic, that we have a hope in you that can never be taken from us, that you guarantee us eternal salvation with you, Father. And Lord, we pray that this week, each one of us will go away and talk to you about this message. In Jesus' name, amen.